Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Ido Bock in Berlin. I'm Emily Tampkin in Washington, D.C. It's Friday, the 6th of August. You're listening to World Review from the New Statesman. Thanks for joining us. Ido is, as you can hear, back on the pod. Ido, we have an exciting guest this week, so I think I say we just get right to it and jump into what we both have noticed from the past week. What's the story that stuck out to you from the news? I think I'm going to go with the brutal fighting that there's been in Lashkar in Afghanistan as the Taliban are trying to conquer a provincial capital to get a sort of propaganda win ahead of the US withdrawal, which is expected to be completed around the end of the month or kind of by September, which is just before Joe Biden's uh, 9-11 deadline, 20 years after 9-11. Obviously, this is a foretaste of what many experts, many military figures believe is going to happen in the in the months to come as the US withdraws and the Taliban fights to recapture the country from government forces. So whether Lashkar Gap falls and whether if it does, that is the precursor to more capitals or kind of regions falling will be quite a big theme in international politics in the in the months ahead, I think. And what have you noticed from the past week? Yeah, I would just add that we have, I wrote a column a few weeks ago, basically saying that the US withdrawal was going faster than anticipated, but so were Taliban advances. In this piece, I argued that sort of the most, which we'll put on the little page for this episode, but that the most humane thing to do uh, on the part of the United States would be to admit that what an unmitigated disaster and defeat the past two decades in this country have been, and try to rescue those who either helped the United States or worked on democracy promotion and will be similarly at risk by giving them refuge. But that's not my story from the past week. The, the, the story that I'm going to bring our listeners' attention to now is that Tucker Carlson is in Budapest. If you do not know who Tucker Carlson is, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, he is a right-wing television personality, a talking head, who is currently talking from Hungary, drawing attention to the successes of Viktor Orban's government and stopping immigration and so on and so forth. There are some in the United States who have said that he's there to learn from Orban and because the right in the United States wants to turn America into Hungary. And I'm going to put forth to our listeners a different theory, which is that this is like a mutual clout chasing exercise in which Tucker Carlson and Viktor Orban can both bolster their right-wing credentials by fetting one another as they've been doing this week. With that, Ido, would you like to introduce our guest? We're delighted to be joined by Tadeusz Gitchan, who is a, as of very recently, former editor-in-chief of Nechta, which is a influential opposition telegram channel in Belarus, and also a fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis think tank. Tadeusz is a very influential voice on 
Belarusian politics and has been very active in the media recently, um, in particular because of his role as long-standing editor of, of Nechta. So um, it's a pleasure to have him here to talk Belarus and very worrying recent developments in the country. Hi, Ido. Hi, Emily. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. So obviously, many of our listeners will have noticed that Belarus has been in the news for quite worrying reasons in the past week. So first, there was this, what many people have characterized as an attempted kidnapping of a Belarusian sprinter, uh, Kristina Timonovskaya, in Tokyo after she allegedly accused Belarusian Olympic officials of entering her into a race she had not trained for and then believes that that her criticism went all the way to the top. And thus Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, demanded that she be returned to, to, to Belarus and she refused. And um, she's now in Poland having received a humanitarian visa. You've argued that this is a very self-inflicted wound for, for the regime, which doesn't really benefit it politically in any way, but comes at significant cost. Can you sort of explain your your view of that? Well, I would say that obviously the topic of Belarus appeared in Western media last year, last August, after the presidential election and the protests that followed, and the enormous scale of repression that Belarusians have been experiencing for months to come and since are experiencing even today. But unfortunately, fortunately for Lukashenko, no tough reaction had followed his actions, I mean, uh, any reaction from the West. And uh, gradually, like months after months, simultaneously with uh, those big public marches in Belarus getting smaller and smaller in scale, the topic of Belarus had gradually faded out in Western media. The fact that we today speak about Belarus, we need to thank Lukashenko for that. Because first, uh, what happened in May on May 23rd, you probably remember if you follow the events in Europe, he essentially hijacked a Ryanair jet flying from Athens to Vilnius, from two uh, European capitals, the capitals of two NATO states. It just happened that it flew over the airspace of Belarus and carried a prominent dissident like journalist, actually my predecessor, former editor-in-chief of Nekta, Raman Pradasevich. It seems the Belarusian authorities decided to take advantage of the fact that he was flying over Belarus and uh, kidnapped him. You know, they used military military fighter jet to escort it to the Minsk International Airport. And it became a very big news. It was when uh, I think uh, Western public opinion realized that the, the protest, the crisis, Belarusian crisis, crisis didn't go away. It still exists. It was when the EU, the US, they decided to take first active steps, like introduced serious economical sanctions, sectoral sanctions, not just personal sanctions, which is much a weaker tool, let's put it this way. So it was Lukashenko's action, Lukashenko's own decision uh, that put Belarus, put his own regime into an increasingly dire state. And uh, what we see today, two months, almost exactly two months after the the incident with the Ryanair jet, Lukashenko is doing the same thing. Normally, under normal circumstances, it would have been just like a normal situation. Uh, obviously, the national team, the Belarusian athletic team's management, they screwed up. They registered the athlete Kristina Tsimanovska for, for a wrong event, for a relay instead of a sprint. She wasn't happy about it, recorded a video message, posted it on her Instagram page, and uh, that's pretty much it. It was like literally second, 40 seconds long, and she didn't criticize Lukashenko or or anything. The regime, it just lost its temper once again. It lost its control and uh, decided 
well, we need to punish her, like to make it another case, so um, like a very public case, so that uh, other athletes, other people in Belarus, uh, will think twice before doing something similar. Last Friday, they've uh, while the topic of Tsimanovska still wasn't in the media, they started a massive like hatred campaign against her, calling her the traitor, you know, calling her all the all the horrible words. Tsimanovska was obviously scared uh, because the entire propaganda machine of the state just attacked her all at once. She actually contacted not us, but other people who we are in contact with two days before the situation with her went public, telling that she's genuinely scared and asking what could be done, you know, uh, what should she do. We didn't persuade her to, you know, to escape, to stay in Japan, to ask for asylum. We just say, like, wait and see. While she was waiting and seeing, the authorities decided to send her back to Belarus, which in, in, in what looked like an actual kidnapping, like the 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 people from the uh, Belarus Olympic Committee, they've escorted her to the airport, tried to uh, force her to board the plane. But it was when she, she contacted the media in Belarus then approached police officers at the airport. I think the rest you know, it was when all this very, very public, very, very big story started. I think it could be once again followed by some 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 reaction, some actual reaction from the West, like maybe more sanctions or we'll see. But, you know, we see this in these both cases. It was Lukashenko, not the opposition, not Tikhan, Svetlana Tikhanovsky as the leader of the opposition visits who brought international attention to Belarus. It was Lukashenko's own ill-considered actions and he only has himself to blame. It seems to me that what happened to Tikhanovsky is in many ways a bit of a microcosm or emblematic of what happened to many Belarusians. She's made quite a big deal of previously not really having been involved in politics. She said that she she didn't criticize the regime, she criticized the officials. And as you said, that shouldn't really have been a particularly big issue because it, you know, it was a muddle, it was a mudlarp, it this stuff happens and it could have been resolved much more amicably than it did. You certainly shouldn't have to seek asylum in a foreign country after criticizing sporting officials. But the very paranoid response from the regime seems to have pushed her to obviously defect to, to to Poland or well outside Belarus anyway, to have gone very public and to have caused quite a significant political cost to to the regime. I guess my question is, is this kind of quite emblematic of what has happened to to many Belarusians who might not have been particularly involved in politics but have seen what has happened since the election election in, in air quotes a year ago which saw Lukashenko returned with officially with 80, about 80% of the vote. And they might not have cared that much about politics, but when things became so brazen, the repression became so harsh, they might have become more political. Well, I think you're right. You absolutely rightly pointed out that Tsimanovska hasn't, has never been a political political activist. She, she never remained uh, like 100% quiet. I, I think last year, last August, after the enormous violence that was happening on the streets of Minsk and other Belarusian cities, she signed an open letter along with other members of the Belarusian Athletic Union saying like, stop the violence. You know, we need, we need uh, our peaceful country back, things like that. But ever, ever since she, she hasn't been engaged in any political activities, she's like a very representative example of like an average an average Belarusian today. If you don't need to be, uh, you know, like a real pro pro democracy extremist, you know, you don't need to throw Molotov cocktails to the police or you know do some 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 extreme things. You don't even have to criticize the regime. As such all your fault is that you are not like one hundred percent behind Lukashenko. Today, in today's Belarus, being neutral is increasingly becoming a crime. You're either partisan Lukashenko supporter 
or if you remain quiet, you're already you're 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 suspicious. You know, you're already a suspect. So yes, the political climate is in Belarus in internal inside Belarus became so bad. It's I think we'll see similar crisis happening again and again in the upcoming months. You've outlined a a situation in which a paranoid regime sees threats everywhere, right? And and thus people who were not acting in a particularly threatening way toward the regime are perceived as as doing so, which is unsustainable certainly for the people who who are living there. You mentioned earlier this idea of more western sanctions or a western response, and I wanted to to pick up on that because there are some who say the West should be doing more, there should be more sanctions, there should be more response. There are others who say, be that as it may, change will only come if Russia decides to act, that this the change will not come through the West. And I guess I wanted to get your opinion on, on A, what the West should do, and B, whether Western action will actually change things on the ground for Belarusians. Well, actually, that's the very idea of sanctions to make Belarus, because nobody, nobody has illusions in the West or in Belarus that uh, Western sanctions will push Lukashenko to, you know, to change his stance, to introduce reforms, to release political prisoners, nothing like that. The main aim uh, or one of the main collateral aims of the sanctions is to make Belarus increasingly important for Putin's Russia, because it's like an open secret that Russia sponsors Belarus massively. Each year, uh, Belarus receives directly and indirectly maybe three to four billion dollars in Russian subsidies in terms of like lower oil and gas prices, cheap credits, access to Russia's internal market without barriers and uh, so on and so forth. If sanctions are, if effective sanctions are introduced, because today sanctions are still, they have some loopholes. If those loopholes are like closed and real effective sanctions are introduced, Belarus would cost not three to four billion dollars for Russia per year, but more like 15 to even 20. I think that would make Russia to reconsider whether Lukashenko really, you know, whether Russia benefits from Lukashenko's regime as much to be willing to pay that much. Uh, Because Lukashenko likes to talk about his internal friendship with Russia, you know, how how pro-Russian he is. But when it comes to actions, well, today's Belarus is pretty much the Belarus of 2018 and 19, or 19, uh, in terms that Russia's influence within the country uh, didn't become any bigger. Like Lukashenko didn't let, didn't allow any pro-Russian political parties to to be created. Those people who tried to do so, they've been uh, actually uh, not, not, not arrested by, like repressed in other in other ways. So within the country, he's still very, 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 very cautious in terms of allowing more Russian influence. So my point is today, if sexual sanctions are introduced, if Belarus will become very expensive project for Russia without bringing it any like tangible benefits. Not too long before all of this started unfolding, there were stories about Lukashenko playing the West and Russia off each other. And was he actually going to come closer to the West and so on and so forth. And so I think you're absolutely right to point out this is not like a true, you know, an all weather friend to Russia. I guess basically my question is, what are the loopholes that if they were closed would substantially raise the cost of do uh, the cost of doing business with Belarus for Putin's Russia? The main export product of Belarus to the EU is potassium fertilizers, which amounts the exports of them amounts to on average three billion dollars per year. It was as European officials they say that it was this uh, it wasn't included in sanctions package intentionally, so that the EU would still have like the leverage, so it could increase the the pressure in the future, in case Lukashenko wouldn't want change his behavior. So it's this particular loophole that needs to be closed because right now the the sexual sanctions that have been introduced they are not well I wouldn't say they are weak they are sufficient. 
but they're not strong enough. And they, what, 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 they, what they actually achieve is they give time for Lukashenko's pocket oligarchs, you know, for his cronies, for Belarusian pro-regime businessmen to actually prepare to create like a whole network of these shell companies in Ukraine, in Russia, you know, in some, some tax havens and continue business as usual, but with some intermediaries. We need to not make it happen. I have a question about sanctions. The way sanctions, there's always been tension between the EU and, or the West and Belarus. The way these things generally tended to go historically was that there would be some sort of democratic outrage from Lukashenko, who has now been in power 27 years. And, you know, he's widely accepted to have falsified every election, bar maybe the first couple. Usually what tended to happen was there was some democratic outrage from Lukashenko, and then the West would impose sanctions, and then a few months or a few years later, they'd go back to the negotiating table, some of the sanctions would be lifted in exchange for liberalisation. Do you think that cycle might play out, or have things gone too far from what we've talked about and also some of what we haven't, in particular since the election last year, for that cycle to be repeated? Well, I think today it became clear for almost everyone in the West that, you know, another reset with Lukashenko's Belarus is uh, no longer possible because, well, while previously after 2006, 2010, 2015 presidential election, there were obviously, if you remember, always some uh, anti-Lukashenko protests. There were also always, they were always followed by repression, but the scale was just, can be compared also, the actual rating of Lukashenko used to be higher uh, back then. It wasn't 80%, as he always claims. It was something like 40 to 50%, according to independent service. Today, it's his, his actual rating is some, some, something similar to 20%. People realize that those who are against Lukashenko are now not just a majority, but an absolute majority. The figures of repression, just to give you some, some idea, you know, starting from uh, August 2020, more than 35 people have been, have been detained, spent some time in jail. Four and a half thousand criminal cases have been opened against protesters. Some dozen people have been killed or died in suspicious circumstances. 600, I think as we speak, 620 something people are officially recognized by international organizations as uh, political prisoners. And it's the, the, the figure is just, well, the scale, again, the scale of repression is, there is nothing it can't be compared to anything that happened in uh, in Europe in the 21st century. I think it became increasingly obvious again for everyone in the West that Lukashenko won't stop, that uh, he is an actual madman, that his strive for power, even if, even though he would lo- probably like to improve the relations with the West a little bit, j- just so that, you know, West lifts sanctions. I think it's no longer possible because, yeah, it just it became clear for everyone that, you know, I think Europeans won't be fooled by Lukashenko the third time around because the story about if we Belarus won't have good relations or like working relations with the West, we could be incorporated into Russia, blah, blah, blah. It's what pro-Lukashenko's analysts, you know, pro-Lukashenko, Lukashenko's, you know, whitewashers in the West try to do, try to push this narrative no longer works. Is as that. In the past few weeks since the arrest of Protasevich, which we haven't really spoken about, but which was a huge theme of European politics from May, and then pushbacks of or the, the sponsoring of illegal migration into Lithuania, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, and then obviously, and, and this episode in, in Tokyo in particular, it's convinced many in, in Europe that Belarus at this point is a rogue state. I've heard comparisons from diplomats to North Korea. That's not a particularly sort of uh, enviable club of countries to be in. I, I'm wondering what your sense is of how the elites who are close to Lukashenko, but maybe not quite at the 
top of the regime and not right in the inner circle feel about this? Because obviously it's one thing to be a member of the elite in an authoritarian country, but still perhaps have some freedom to go to, to the EU or to the West and maybe park your assets there, maybe send your kids to study abroad in, in Europe, something like that. But the more that Lukashenko isolates Belarus from, from the rest of Europe, the less that is possible. And obviously there's this kind of, there's this bargain that the elite have to have with Lukashenko where obviously they can't be seen to broach any disloyalty at all. But at the same time, the more they are attached to Lukashenko, the more isolated they become because the more erratic Lukashenko becomes and the the further away from from the rest of Europe they drift. What is your sense about how how the elite view this latest shift, which is certainly different from anything that's come before with with Lukashenko's long reign? Well, actually, that's a very good question. First of all, I'd like to point out that the political and economic elites in Belarus are completely well, are somewhat different, substantially different from the elites in Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, for instance. Those people buy, you know, luxury mansions in London, sending their kids to these boarding schools, keeping their money in Swiss banks. They are not Belarusians. They are Ukrainians, Russians, you know, they're from Kazakhstan. But in Belarus, the political system is completely different. It's just like a single permit structure with a simply just one oligarch who owns everything, Lukashenko himself, his family, and he just gives concessions to people he likes. You know, for instance, one person can get a cigarette business, another person can get uh, import-export operations. They still are very, uh, very obliged to Lukashenko, and he can strip them of their, you know, of their assets, of their power, just, you know, just like that. They are much less independent than the elites in other post-Soviet countries and very, very linked to, to, to Lukashenko himself. As I said earlier, now that the absolute majority of Belarusians have rejected Lukashenko and, and his rule, today's regime propaganda, today's regime media, they don't try you know, to win their sympathies back. It is only aimed at those actually remaining remaining supporters and Silaviki, uh, you know, the security apparatus, the, you know, the people who actually work for for the regime and you know who are uh, who are connected with the regime and including including oligarchs or you know big businessmen for the past year it Belarusian regime media they've been pushing the narration the narrative that you know will destroy you know these renegades you know these those oppositionists and uh, things will finally get back to to normal people Lukashenko's followers the elites it seems they believed him they they stood behind him and and, and supported his actions. From talking with some, well, not very high members of, of Belarusian like state system, but I, I do speak sometimes with people on the from the other side of the barricades. I think it's just it's not just me. It's also what comes from other sources, from from the friends of mine and other people who speak with uh, Belarusian officials. It's the realization that the things won't get back to normal. They've just actually realized it this 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 summer after the, after situation with Protasevich, after the situation with Tsimanovsky, uh, they realized that you know under Lukashenko there is no future, there is no going back to those good old times of I don't know 2015 or something. Well, it's too early to say what would be the what would be the outcome of of, of this realization, but something is definitely brewing, you know, within the. Within the Belarusian state. I just have one last question for you before we move to our listener question, which is, you know, we talk about democratic backsliding in this European country or that, or the threat to democracy in the United States, and all of those things are, are, are real and are bad, but what you're describing is just a different order of magnitude, right? This is not, it's just a next level 
of cruelty enacted by the state on on the individuals who live within its borders. And I guess my question for you, you know, you're based in Warsaw. When you speak to Europeans or to Americans, do you think, maybe this is sort of a simple question, but but do you feel that they have the the capacity, the imagination to to really grasp what is happening in Belarus? Or is it too different and too horrible to sort of comprehend? Well, yes, that's the, actually the biggest problem that's been around for the past year uh, until the situation with Bratasevich. Whenever we try to explain actually what's going on inside the country, that, you know, concentration camps for um, opposition activists have been created, that people are being like ordinarily killed, which happened a couple of times, simply for, I don't know, for putting a white, red, white flag, you know, so on, on, on a building or something. Well, first of all, the scale, because as I, as I said, more than 35 people have, 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 have been, have spent some time in prison over the past year. And Belarus is a country of just nine and a half million. Uh, and so if you extrapolate it to, to the US, for instance, let's say, let's assume the US has a population of 300, 300 million. Yeah. So it's 30 times more, 30 times, I think it's nine million people. It's, 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 it's as if nine million people have been imprisoned in the, in the US last year alone for opposing Trump or opposing Biden. Whatever you prefer, there would, would there wouldn't be enough 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 space in 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 American prisons, even though America is still famous for you know having <laughs> a big prison. Right, even even with all our even with our prison industrial complex, yes. So in in Belarus is the same, you know. The, the authorities they don't build concentration camps just for fun, you know, just to sound like Hitler. It's simply because there is not enough not enough space, not enough room in like ordinary prisons. The absurdity of situation, for instance, just yesterday, just of, of some arrest, for instance, for instance, just yesterday or two days ago, I actually posted on Twitter. I saw a footage posted by the Belarusian Ministry of Interior on which the SWAT team arrested a group of backpipers. Uh, they used drones. They used like live ammunition, like explosions, everything. They were simply sitting, sitting and uh, playing some music, and they've arrested them f- because they allegedly played music at last year's protest. Things like that they happen. They are happening every day, every town, city, in lots of villages, even because you know the entire country now rejects Lukashenko. Effectively, he became an occupant in his own country. Well, easy as that. So the 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 biggest, the best, uh, the best comparison would be the occupation. It's just life under occupation. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to the New Statesman on digital, in print, or both, from as little as one pound a week at newstatesman.com/slash-subscribe. That's just two dollars a week in America. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And that seems a good note on which to move on to our audience question for a section that we like to call. You ask us. Our listener question this week is from Rebecca, and it is, what can realistically be done to pressure Iraq to limit the the amount of flights to Minsk, and is it ethical to do so? Now, this is a reference to a dispute that there has been over the past few weeks between principally Belarus and Lithuania and Belarus and the EU, because Belarus is accused of essentially sponsoring illegal migration from countries such as Iraq and and Syria, there are a number of direct flights a week between Baghdad and Minsk. And so Belarus is accused of essentially flying in uh, people who want to get to the EU to Minsk and then essentially accompanying them to the border with Lithuania and letting them go through. And uh, so far this year, there have been thousands thousands of people have crossed compared to 80 last year. Tadeusz, do you want to take the first tab of that? Well, I think the timing, uh, I think the question is, just a little bit outdated because on 4th of August, on Wednesday, the Prime Minister of Iraq, Mustafa Al-Karimi, he, he ordered the Iraqi Airways, the airline that operates most of flights from Iraq to Minsk, to cancel all its flights. It was obviously um, an outcome of the, of the visit of the Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielus Landsbergis to, to Baghdad and talks he, he held with Iraqi, Iraqi authorities. So it seems that even today, even Iraq realizes that it is a problem uh, and he warns its citizens not to travel to Minsk. So we'll see. Minsk still tries to escalate. Just yesterday, Belarusian authorities claimed that Lithuanian border guards killed an Iraqi. They've showed a body, you know, without a, with his face blurred. They showed some, you know, some signs that... It was Lithuanians who killed him. It was very not not too convincing, to be honest. So they still try to escalate the situation. Uh, also, Lithuanians also they've applied like a different approach. While for the first two months they've been accepting every foreigner, every Iraqi or Irani who who entered the uh, who crossed the border between Belarus and Lithuania, they've all accepted them and just placed them in refugees camps. But just two days ago, Lithuania decided, well, because they, kept the, they, they, don't, they, have, they don't have any more capacity to provide shelter for those people, so they decided they will just be turning them turning them back at the border. And yes, it actually was kind of success, because while three or four days ago, some two, three hundred people crossed the border daily, yesterday and today, uh, as we speak, it was only like 20, 20 people, and more than uh, three, four hundred have been turned back to Belarus. But then again, on Thursday morning, Lukashenko ordered ordered uh, Belarusian border guards not to let these people back to Belarus. So effectively, I think we'll what we're gonna what we're gonna see in the next week or so at least, it's the human ping pong between Lithuanian border guards and Belarusian border guards. So I don't think it's gonna look very nice. But at the same time, 
yes, I need to I, I need to say the, the the problem with the Iraqi airways, which was the major source of 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 those migrants has been solved, at least temporarily, by the Lithuanian authorities. I think for me personally, what is one of the most unpleasant aspects of this row in particular is that while these migrants are being used essentially for geopolitical purposes by the Lukashenko regime, as individuals, as people, obviously they're, they're, they're not at fault. I think it's quite clearly being done to this this sponsoring of migration is quite clearly being done to uh, to undermine Lithuania, to undermine the EU, as kind of the Lithuanian foreign minister has called it hybrid warfare. But of course, the people themselves are not at fault. All they're doing is seeking a better life, and they're just they've they've discovered this new means which may or may not be an effective way to get into the EU, and so they're just following that. But as individuals, they're clearly not at fault. I, I wonder what you make of this instrumentalization, essentially of. Of, of people for geopolitical aims by the Lukashenko regime? Well, I'm a human myself, and I think that it's one of the most horrible things, you know, one one can done, one can do. I can perfectly understand those Iraqis who try who try to escape the the country because you know it's not the nicest place to be. And you know, if I, perhaps well, most likely, if I myself was born in Iraq, I would try to do the same. But but at the same time, we need to understand Lithuanians because all their fault was that they, they were most active supporters of the Belarusian positions, most vocal critics of, of of Lukashenko. It was Lithuanians who lobbied for the toughest sanctions and you know things like that. Uh, so look, that's why Lukashenko decided to 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 attack Lithuania with this uh, influx of migrants, not Poland or or Latvia. Um, it's it's really complicated topic because well yes it's humans' lives that is at stake and uh, I really don't know what 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 is, what is the best solution because as, as we speak you know right now those bodyguards they're Lithuanians and Belarusians they're playing this ping pong trying to push those people back either to Lithuania or to Belarus. I don't really really know. I, I I honestly think that, you know, it could it could it could be escalated to the point that, you know, that there could be casualties. Like, you know, someone someone will lost uh, gonna lost its temper, someone would attack a, a border guard or I don't know, for instance, Lithuanian border guards will accidentally enter Belarusian soil and you know, Belarusians will will, will, will start shooting. I it's at this point I generally believe I'm generally worried that uh, you know it could become the situation could become violent unfortunately on that incredibly grim and foreboding note we will well first of all we will say thank you to those of you who sent in your questions as a reminder you can always send yours in at either either by emailing podcast at newstatesman.co.uk or alternatively just by tweeting at us that's what Rebecca did before we let Tadeusz go we are going to ask him as we always do with our guests, what they will be watching in the week ahead. Yeah, this Monday, uh, it's going to be exactly one year after after the election. It's going to be the first anniversary of the events that completely changed Belarus. They completely changed Belarusian society. And I'll probably even say that what we see today in Belarus, it's like the, est, the last act of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And Ido? I'll be watching the release of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's report on Monday, uh, August 9th also. So the IPCC is going to publish the first part of this quite bureaucratic name, Sixth Assessment Report of the IPCC. And essentially, it's going to probably show that we're doing the world is doing catastrophically on climate change that we are miles away from meeting the target that was set in paris in 2015 of keeping warming below 1.5 degrees 
Celsius above pre-industrial levels. And so we might be on track of going far above that level, which would obviously have catastrophic effects for extreme weather events, for sea levels, biodiversity, and so on. And the report might also highlight in, in some detail, for example, the effects of increased levels of CO2 in the air, the difference of the effects between, say, 1.5 degrees Celsius, 2 degrees Celsius, 3 degrees Celsius on uh, on wildlife, extreme weather events, and so on. There is probably not going to be very much good news in, in that, but equally it's uh, fairly unlikely that it will prompt any serious action um, because we've known that this was happening for, for years and years now. Emily, what will you be looking for? Some listeners, particularly if you're American, will be familiar with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who at the beginning of the pandemic was sort of hailed as this like democratic, I mean, he is a Democrat, uh, democratic alternative to Trump for his strong handling of the pandemic, etc. Since then, he has been accused by sexual harassment of multiple people. There was an independent investigation. The results of that came out this week, which basically said, yes, he sexually harassed multiple people. Calls for him to resign have come from many corners, including the White House. President Joe Biden has said that he should step down. He is not going to do that in all likelihood. So now what I will be watching is whether the New York state legislature impeaches him and forces him out that way, or if he if he hangs on, if despite the report and the, you know, the allegations and the call to resignation, he remains governor of one of the most populous states in the country. And with that, all that remains is to say thank you to Tadish for joining us. Well, thank you, Ida. Thank you, Emily, for having me. It's been a pleasure to have you. If you've enjoyed this episode of World Review, please do leave a review and tell your friends or enemies or haters about it. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the free newsletter component of this podcast by going to newstatesman.com slash world review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thank you for listening and until next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.